You've heard of Grammarly, and you might think it's a fancy spell check, but people on your team have been using it and loving it for years because it does way more than you realize. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that works seamlessly across apps and websites and can write an instant first draft in a few clicks, not a few hours. When every word your team writes is clear, concise and on brand, companies can save 19 days per employee per year. Learn what better writing can do for your company at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. Hi everyone, I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get Our Way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From the heart of where innovation, money, and power collide, in Silicon Valley and beyond, this is Bloomberg Technology with Emily Chang. Chang in San Francisco, and this is Bloomberg Technology. Coming up in the next hour, how a Delaware court could force Musk to seal the deal from daily fines to allowing Twitter to seize his assets. We will talk about all the ways Musk could be held to his word if he loses what is shaping up to be an epic legal battle. Plus, Pinterest gets a big boost from Elliott Management after the activist investor takes a 9% stake in the company shares, jumping after hours. And Amazon had a surprisingly strong Prime Day. Sales jumped more than 8% from last year and even helped rivals get a little more online traffic. We'll break down all the data. All that in a moment, but first, Elon Musk, known for his delight in defying authority, is ordered to complete his $44 billion purchase of Twitter, and he refuses. How could a Delaware court force his hand? That's something that we've been exploring I want to bring in Bloomberg's Kurt Wagner now to discuss. Kurt, if you go through Twitter's complaint, they come out swinging. They want to do this $44 billion deal. This is not posturing or ceremony. They want their $44 billion. Can a court really force Elon Musk to pay up? It sounds like the answer is yes, and thankfully our colleagues who you know cover the court are, are much closer to this, and they had a story today that said there's a few things they could do. They could uh, uh, slap a big fine on Elon Musk. A they could daily do A daily fine, fine even. right? So the richest, even the richest man in the world might not want to pay a fine every single day. They could seize his assets was another thing, and obviously that would include Tesla stock. Um, so I think those are the, the main, probably, motivators, if you will, to do a deal like this, on top of, of course, actually paying the money that they- he also could allow Twitter to seize his assets, which I found interesting. I'm not sure if Twitter w- would want to seize his <laughs> assets at this point. They're trying to make him seize their assets, right? But I find this whole thing, you know, to be incredibly interesting and, and complicated because think about this, Emily. For 60 pages, Twitter was saying, here's a guy who's acting in bad faith. Here is someone who is who's lying, who's misrepresenting. 
and now we want him to own the company and be everybody's boss, right? It's, it's a very complicated issue. We pulled some quotes from those 60 pages, and it's actually kind of a, a riveting read, yeah. written in a more conversational style than you go. expect yeah. a, a complaint yeah. to be. Uh, here's one. Musk apparently believes that he, unlike every other party subject to Delaware contract law, is free to change his mind, trash the company, disrupt its operations, destroy shareholder value, and walk away. His exit strategy is a model of hypocrisy. And then there's this, that he exhibited little interest in understanding Twitter's process for estimating spam accounts. In a June 30th conversation with Twitter CFO Ned Siegel, he acknowledged he hadn't even read the detailed summary of Twitter's sampling process provided back in May. Siegel offered to spend time with Musk once again to review it. That meeting never happened, despite Twitter's best efforts. What do you make of that? I mean, Twitter went out of its way to show and paint a picture of someone who has lost interest in this deal, right? Basically from uh, about June 23rd, when Bob Swan, the former IBM CEO who was leading the, the Musk deal team, he left. From then on through the 4th of July, the company basically said, we had trouble getting in touch with him. We tried to have meetings. He wouldn't show up. When he did show up, he wasn't prepared. They're really trying to convey that Elon really stepped back uh, from this deal, and that's why it's falling apart, not because of anything that Twitter did. So here's the thing. Elon Musk doesn't shy away from a fight, and no. even with major right. regulators. That's right. So we're not expecting him to just back down. No, and, and you know, I've seen some people speculate, well, why don't they come to a settlement? Why doesn't Elon pay half the price, and, and everyone walks away? It's like, can you imagine Elon Musk voluntarily saying, here's $20 billion, sure, I'll, I'll be the loser in this situation. I just have a tough time imagining that. So it does really feel like it's either going to be $44 billion or nothing. I know that sounds extreme, but it, it's just hard to imagine a middle ground right now. All right. Well, it's certainly something we slash you will continue to follow. Thank you. Kurt Wagner. Meantime, payments company Stripe has told staffers the private market valuation of the company has dropped more than 27%. Stripe's new implied valuation is about $74 billion, down from $95 billion in its most recent fundraising. This as the stock prices of Stripe's publicly traded peers continue to plummet. Since the overturning of Roe versus Wade, an employee benefit package might be the only way women seeking abortions can even afford it. Tech giants have responded to the ruling by pledging their support and financial assistance. But how is this all playing out in the aftermath? Joining us now, Kate Ryder, CEO of Maven, a women's and family health clinic that partners with companies like Microsoft, L'Oreal, and AT&T. Kate, thank you so much for joining us. So look, in one ruling, the rules changed for women across the country. What's happened in the aftermath? What have you seen? You know, um, we knew this was coming, uh, you know, ever since XB8 in the fall, I think a lot of people in the medical community, um, you know, were, were predicting this. But I think what we heard is, you know, we work with a lot of leading health plans and employers with for their women's and family health benefits from fertility to maternity. And a lot of them didn't know what to kind of make of it the second that the Supreme Court decision was kind of struck down and, and brought down, even our most conservative clients that previously didn't want to take a position stood up and designed kind of employee benefit packages through Maven and other services to support travel across state lines, to support pregnancy options, counseling, and, you know, a, a lot of other things. So it, that was encouraging. So what kind of demand are you, and requests are you seeing from Maven members? Are you seeing a surge in requests for reproductive help? 
I think anxiety, um, our mental health is up, but I think it's not just Maven members right now. We're also paying attention to Maven providers. So, you know, one of the things that we've been hearing is there's about 50% of U.S. counties don't have an OBGYN, and a lot of those are in states where they're restricting abortion access. A lot of our clinicians are, are, are really concerned. You know, we're hearing people of, that are going to move, and so that's going to create even more provider shortages. So, you know, it's, it's both the members but also the providers themselves. Hang on, did you just say 50% of U.S. counties don't have an OBGYN? Correct. Isn't that just a basic level of care for any kind of women's health needs? You know, I think one of the reasons I started Maven eight years ago is because women's health has always been underserved. A lot of these statistics kind of people didn't really pay as much attention to, but, you know, technically they're called maternity care deserts. And, um, and you know, I think the, the ACOG and the medical community is afraid that it's going to be even more exacerbated um, with, uh, you know, with this ruling. So here's the question. There are companies and, and, and startups like yours that are now potentially serving women in states where abortion is illegal. How are you navigating that? Well, I think, you know, what we always think about is the well-being of the members, our providers, our clients is always first and foremost. And we also, of course, will always be in compliance with the laws. And so our legal team, there's a lot that's still really uncertain, is working overtime to try to understand this. And so, you know, we have to obviously be in compliance, but um, but, you know, the well-being of many of our members in those states is, uh, you know, as, as evidenced by a lot of, you know, increased acts for support around emotional well-being and around just the uncertainty of even bringing kids up in this world. You know, what, what do you say? How do you explain what's going on? Um, you know, we're seeing all of that on our platform. Meantime, you've got a number of companies that have come out and said, we're going to cover travel benefits for employees who need to cross state lines to get an abortion. So, for example, Uber, Lyft, DoorDash have said they would do this for their employees. But Bloomberg has a story out today saying, well, they're not doing this for their shoppers or their drivers or for all of the contractors on their platform. What do you think the responsibility of these employers are? Well, I think that we're living in a world where, as we see, I mean, it's, it's part of why the employee benefits industry is such a robust industry, as we see that less and less services kind of offered by the, the government uh, companies, you know, Maven included, um, and a lot of our clients are stepping up to fill a lot of those gaps because at the end of the day, um, you know, your people are everything when you're growing your business. And so not only are you helping your people, but, you know, there is an economic argument for, you know, talent attraction and retention and just kind of creating a, a a good culture so that your you know your people can be their most productive and their happiest at work meantime there are some states i'm thinking right now about kentucky that are considering laws that would define life right after fertilization which would potentially put ivf and fertility treatments in danger and you're seeing patients we're hearing that you're seeing some patients try to move their embryos for example out of those states are you seeing this? Yes, um, we do support uh, the, the financials around moving the embryos um, across state lines through, you know, our, our Maven Wallet benefit. But, you know, I think that what we hear from the fertility community is that, that it, it, there is still so much uncertainty. Um, and so a lot of people just, you know, don't know what's going on and are, are taking the, the embryo, um, you know, transfer as, as precaution. 
But, you know, I, I will say that hopefully um, that, you know, as a lot of this data comes out where this is bad for business in a lot of these states, it's bad for people, it's bad for families, it's bad for women, that, um, that, that hopefully some of these more extreme bills that are in the state senates will not get passed. What are your biggest fears, though? I mean, there are so many cascading issues here. What do you worry about the most? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think that the saddest thing about this is that this just disproportionately affects, um, you know, already vulnerable patients, right? So lower income women, black women, there's already a maternal health crisis in this country. When you look at even the data coming out of a lot of the states with these trigger laws that are going to have more restrictive abortion access, the maternal mortality rate is two times that of other states. And so, you know, already when we have the highest maternal mortality rate in the developed world and we're restricting access even more in in women's health where abortion about one out of four women get abortion in their lifetime it's a very common procedure and part of standard health care in women's health that this is just you know this is going to make our our, our our outcomes even worse it's going to hurt women it's going to hurt families and I hope that you know that we that quickly states will will get on the right side of this and recognize that this is just health care all right Kate Ryder, CEO of Maven Clinic. Appreciate you sharing your perspective here today. Thanks for having Thank me. You. All right, coming up, Amazon pushing to end two antitrust investigations by the European Union. Could this be a blueprint for big tech compromises around the world? We'll discuss. This is Bloomberg. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message, and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop. Customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years, and it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE.
Pantera shares jumped more than 20% in late trading after Dow Jones reported activist investor Elliott Management has taken a 9% stake in the company. Our very own Alex Barinka joins us now to discuss. So why are shares jumping on this news? Yeah, shares are probably jumping on this news because investors are um, looking for something to happen at Pinterest. Pinterest had, has had an interesting go of it the last um, couple of years, both financially. They're seeing strong ad sales, um, but they're seeing users fall off to the tune of 9% uh, decline in monthly active users in the last quarter. So this is a company that's kind of been around for a while. There have been a lot of questions as to where does growth come next. You'll recall uh, not too long ago, there were those talks with PayPal for a potential deal. Uh, the company's been trying to kind of expand into some more arenas like into e-commerce. Um, but um, between that and um, the longtime CEO stepping back from that role, uh, it seems like Elliot um, sees an opportunity to kind of shake some things up and maybe push for some changes that it's looking for at this business. Interesting. Yeah. Huge shakeup from with Ben Silberman leaving after all those years bill reddy longtime former payments executive who you know worked at braintree which got bought by paypal um for for many many years taking over do we know yet what bill reddy's plans are we don't know yet, but this is a guy who, as you mentioned, comes from Google, comes from the ad side. So this is a guy who has spent a lot of his time um, figuring out how to make money online. So that would be the era that I would expect um, this company to continue to focus on. It's also, frankly, again, the area that um, we've seen some pressure on this company and some questions on this company from the analyst and investor community up until now. So um, whether or not Elliot is on the same um, kind of brain length as Bill Reddy as he takes the helm at Pinterest. I guess this is a place we will have to see. Um, but if I were um, looking at his background and saying, hey, what's the most kind of opportune place for him to lean in? It is to try to counteract that user decline with uh, juicing up revenue even more than we saw in the 18% increase that we saw in the past quarter. All right, Alex Barinka, thank you for giving us that context from LA. Appreciate it. Meantime, Amazon is a step closer to settling two EU antitrust investigations concerning whether the company uses sales data of its own third-party sellers to unfairly favor its own products. The European Commission is now asking Amazon's competitors for feedback on a proposed settlement. Amazon says it's engaging. Constructively. Bloomberg's Matt Day covers all things Amazon and joins us now. So how big are the compromises that Amazon is actually proposing here, Matt? I think they're meaningful. Uh, one of the things they're proposing is offering kind of a second option to buy a product, you know, not just what Amazon recommends, which the vast majority of people just click through, but offering a, a second tier. But I think if you went inside a, a Seattle and Amazon's offices today, they'd, they'd say they're fine with this. This doesn't dismantle their marketplace. They can kind of keep doing business as usual. They just have to promise they're not going not gonna to break the rules, offer sellers another option to get seen. Obviously, big tech is facing antitrust regulatory scrutiny around the world. Is what Amazon is doing here potentially a harbinger of compromises to come from others? It's certainly the compromise they'd like to see. I mean, they like this a whole lot more than they would like um, the antitrust bills being kicked around in, in the U.S. Congress, which strike them as much more structural risk for them. They don't want to have to do anything that kind of changes how they run their marketplace um, and their retail websites at its core. And I think this EU thing kind of threads that needle for them. Meantime, you're also reporting today that unionization efforts at Amazon warehouses in New York 
are kind of losing momentum. This after a major victory at at least one warehouse in New York. What's happening? Yeah, so the, the Amazon Labor Union and Upstart Union in Staten Island, they were on top of the world. If you go back to April when they, they won and they got the rights to bargain for workers at one facility, you know, since then they've lost their second election and they've paused efforts to uh, organize two more places. Um, so a lot of what they're doing these days is really playing defense. They're trying to uh, kind of hold on to their win in labor board hearings. Amazon has challenged that first result. So basically this this outfit that, um, you know, looked like they could do no wrong a few months ago, they've, they've kind of gotten to the hard part. They're having to, uh, to put the work in to defend their early games. Uh, Chris Smalls, who we just saw popping some champagne there, who's been leading this effort, he also testified uh, at, at hearings where Amazon has been protesting the win. What happened there? Yeah, he, he came on, uh, he's testifying from a hotel room. He's kind of on a, a permanent tour of other labor groups and, and speaking engagements. Amazon works real hard to kind of, you know, peg him as, as a rule breaker, saying he was on tr company property and trespassing and, and all these things. And Smalls kind of did his, his best efforts to, to keep that at arm's length. It's been a really contentious process so far, a lot of kind of snipping back and forth from the union's lawyers and Amazon's. What about unionization elsewhere? Are we seeing any, uh, you know, efforts gaining momentum? There are certainly glimmers. Um, just in the last couple of weeks, a couple of outfits, one in upstate New York and one in Kentucky, have said they're going to affiliate with the Amazon Labor Union. Kind of remains to be seen how far that's going to go. And there's there's definitely stuff popping up in other places in the country. North Carolina, um, we've heard about a new effort in the last few weeks. And there's still that race that is too close to call um, that an Amazon Union drive in Bessemer, Alabama. So definitely still something uh, taking up a lot of tech time in Seattle. All right. Bloomberg's Matt Day. Thanks much. Well, in other Amazon news, it is official. Jeff Bezos has tweeted the trailer for Amazon's long-anticipated Lord of the Rings series coming September. Prime Video will release the drama to subscribers in more than 240 countries and territories worldwide. The streaming service will upload weekly episodes throughout the season. We will see if it lives up to the hype. Welcome back to Bloomer Technology. I'm Emily Chang in San Francisco. I want to get back to the markets and shares of Chinese tech companies dropped after a flood of news, leaving them poised for their steepest weekly losses since March. This after a report Alibaba is facing an inquiry in China in connection with a data theft and renewed regulatory concerns. Joining us now, Edith Young, general partner at Race Capital. So what's your take on this kind of fresh round of Chinese regulatory scrutiny on big tech giants, which has been ebbing and flowing for the last several years now. I think all tech companies and founders have been basically walking on eggshells. And there's a lot of different changes of various different security law, privacy regulatory. It's just been very, very tough, um, not just for the Alibaba and Tencent of the world, but also for earlier stage. Many of them been waiting to get listed in the US. But all this, a lot of the companies that I'm aware of either wanted to go through respect. The Chinese company now is changing the course, thinking about Hong Kong, thinking about Shanghai. So it's been really, really tough for the you know, tech industry in China. So there are two narratives going on here. One is that you know China tech is so competitive, could supersede the United States. And the other is that the Chinese re regulatory crackdown could destroy some of these Chinese tech companies, which is true. 
Well, I, I think that uh, first and foremost, that some of the biggest Chinese company, including Alibaba, like most of their business actually are not even in the U.S. Many of my friends don't even know what WeChat is or Alipay is, is all about. Mm -hmm. So I would say, you know, the big tech giants, the core business is still in mainland China. is absolutely a parallel universe in, in terms of tech. Uh, having said that, I think every single new companies are thinking this is not going off overseas. This is about global markets, similar to ByteDance. From day one, they wanted to be international, but the international uh, Chinese version of TikTok is Douyin. Um, it's a completely different way of operating in terms of product. So a lot of the Chinese company want to do respect international market, comply with international law, but they definitely have the ambition to be global companies from day one. Well, that brings me to the TikTok that we in the United States know, which is constantly brought up, at, you know, as you know, doing things better than. Facebook and Google and you know all of these US yep. based tech companies what do you think um, there is no better or worse and mm -hmm. obviously in China um, there is not much of a data privacy as such so therefore in terms of AI definitely I think the ability of machine learning in China is insane and this is not just for social network in fact um, for e electronic vehicle there's just crazy growth. Um, I, I saw news that uh, BYD, BYD actually now in terms of number of uh, EVs has more than Tesla in some sense. So um, it, there's no competition, just the way you do machine learning in English versus Chinese is quite different. So I don't think it's, a, it's, a, it's not a win-lose situation, it's really just a parallel universe in terms of the internet. What about Web3? What, who, who's winning? Um, it's definitely not in China. <laughs> um, there's no uh, no NFT, no Bitcoin mining, no uh, crypto trading. Uh, it cannot be offered to Chinese citizens. So a lot of, uh, many, many of my friends in China who is in Web3 have moved to countries like Singapore or the UAE. Those are some of the hot spots. Um, and I think for so race capital... China could get left behind? Uh, in some sense. I think in race capital, we certainly meet a lot of founders um, that left China, but now in Singapore. So they're a Singaporean company, um, but they want to continue to... So the company like StepN, which built on Solana, um, many of the exchanges from the Binance, that's in some sense why FTX have moved from Hong Kong to the Bahamas for similar reason. What do you make of the crypto volatility right now? We just had a headline cross that Coinbase is now dropping out of the top top 10 exchanges in the world by volume. And if you look at like the top 10 in the world, many of them uh, actually originated from, from China, regardless of the Binance, Huobi, OKEX, of course, FTX. And I think Coinbase, from to start with, plus FTX, actually started in Hong Kong. The world in terms of trading users and volume um, outside the U.S. is actually much larger than the U.S. So it's not surprising Coinbase sooner or later will sort of drop below. But having said that, top five in terms of number of users, Coinbase is st definitely still top three. But just, just in general, I saw like before I came over, I think the total combined market cap, a trading volume is now back to over 900 billion. Um, so it's not as bad as 30 days ago. Um, but still, I think, you know, the rest of the world, particularly in Asia, is now catching up like beyond just the U.S. trading volume. Right. The question is, how long does the winter last? Who knows? All right. Edith Young, Race Capital, great to have you here and see you in person. Thank you, yeah. Edith, for stopping you, by. Emily. All right, coming up, policymakers are rethinking crypto energy rules. This amid record high temperatures in Europe and heat waves across the United States. Our crypto report is coming up. This is Bloomberg. 
What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise and everyone would be more productive. That's where Grammarly comes in. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said. Done. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest-growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. Bitcoin miners in Texas are taking the week off to keep the state's energy grid intact. Right now, Western Europe is undergoing record high temperatures, and most of the U.S., particularly the South, is preparing for a triple-digit heat wave this weekend. Hot weather, the war in Ukraine, supply chain bottlenecks are sending energy costs higher, and that's beginning to impact Bitcoin mining. Bloomberg Shanali Bosick joins us now from New York. How exactly, Shanali, is this energy crunch impacting them? Yeah, it's very simple. If they turn off the machines, it's impacting their profit profitability. And remember, this is already in a tough year for Bitcoin in general. So you have Bitcoin-related stocks taking a hit just due to the price volatility. Some of them are bouncing back. Uh, as you can see, though, Riot Blockchain is one of those companies very highly tied to mining. And the, the drop is steeper than you see at a lot of other companies. More than seven. 76% of a drop there just this year alone. And if you look at Core Scientific, the drop is even bigger. It's 86% for the year. Uh, just to give you a sense of how big uh, the mining load in Texas is, over 1% of the total grid capacity being pushed back uh, represents all of the industrial scale Bitcoin mining. It, it represents a significant amount of a household's worth of energy usage. So it's a very significant move we've seen here, as we've seen number of companies moved to Texas to really take advantage of uh, that uh, energy system of the power grid over there. And you are now seeing what that strain can look like when critical infrastructure, Emily, comes under pressure. 
All right, Chanel, stay with us. I want to bring in Kathleen Brightman. She is the co-founder of the blockchain platform Tezos. And Kathleen, I'm so curious how this is playing out from your perspective. You're seeing these miners shutting down their operations in Texas. You know, what, is this, what does this look like from inside the industry? Well, um, I think the issue of mining in Texas has been kind of fraught in both ways. As you might remember, unfortunately, there were a number of people who um, nearly froze to death in Texas earlier this year um, because of similar issues with their energy grid. And I guess Bitcoin miners and promoters um, who tout the you know, uh, greatness of, of proof of work uh, tend to argue that this is like a battery. Um, and it's really you know, not the case. Like a one-way battery is not a battery. Um, and a lot of the strength that has been argued about Bitcoin's proof of work um, is that it's sort of this source that can be tapped into, but in fact, it's just, you know, kind of a, a, a massive suck on, on the grid. How do you see this playing out? I mean, I wonder if there's an upside forcing miners to, to think about how to make the process more sustainable. Well, um, I co-founded a cryptocurrency called Tezos, which is proof of stake. Most uh, cryptocurrencies that have launched in the last few years use proof of stake, mostly because it's the best technology in class. Um, a lot of the arguments about Bitcoin and its energy uses are mostly because it's kind of like this weird vestigial organ uh, that has been attached to Bitcoin that has uh, sort of reverence for no good reason um, from the people who usually own too much Bitcoin to uh, think about it otherwise. It's interesting because you see the proof of stake concept as it pertains to the Ethereum merge as well. And I'm wondering some of the complications around that. How does that complicate this kind of struggle between proof of stake versus proof of work and uh, the reliance on energy as it pertains to it? Well, um, if you look back at the original marketing materials for the Ethereum Foundation's fundraiser in 2014, they advertised themselves as imminently transitioning to proof of stake. Um, so they've really been talking out of both sides of their mouth for the last few years <laughs> um, when, they, when they discussed their eminent transition and the virtues and benefits of, of you know, proof of stake versus, versus proof of worth. Um, what's interesting, actually, is ties into sort of the recent market crash uh, in cryptocurrencies, is that there's been this sort of uh, token called staked Ethereum that's run for the last year. It's from the Ethereum Foundation on what's called a beacon chain. And this is meant to be some sort of test for proof of stake. Um, so you can convert your Ethereum to Ethereum on this chain, the staked Ethereum, um, but not the other way around. So in theory, it, it kind of had this inflationary reward, and so people would borrow Ethereum um, and buy staked Ethereum, uh, and that took a lot of Ethereum out of circulation, which arguably increased the price, or at least had some sort of positive effect on the price. Um, but in reality, it's really no different than uh, something like Hex, uh, which, is, which is kind of a Ponzi scheme that's crashed in the last few um, weeks. Uh, which is just a token that basically pays you for freezing it. The longer you freeze it, the more you receive, so on and so forth. But it's just, it's all inflation. That's a really big statement, actually. <laughs> Kathleen, I mean, how do you think about that inflation uh, within Ethereum and then also kind of the distortion in prices you've seen when you think about what's happening with staked Ethereum and the broader ramifications that has for the system? Well, if you look at like the last few weeks, there have been a number of different systemic crises. Um, we sort of have the cryptocurrency's own version of uh, three, hour, uh, three hours capital is long-term capital management, basically, but with crypto. Um, a lot of the reason that uh, there's so much contagion in, in the cryptocurrency space and there's been a lot of, I guess, bad deleterious effects um, has been largely because they sort of saw um, things like staked Ethereum as a sure bet. So it's not dissimilar from this, you know, smartest people in the room uh, having models that are basically predicated on nonsense. You know, how are you watching the market fallout? Obviously, we saw the Celsius bankruptcy filing. We're seeing, you know, the crypto winter get colder and colder. You know, what is your sort of prediction about how this continues to play out? 
Well, as your Bloomberg colleague, Joe Weisenthal, always says, it could always go down by 100%. Um, but, uh, you know, for those of us who've been in this um, industry for quite some time, it's, you know, completely unsurprising that something like Celsius would go bankrupt because, uh, you know, economics does have laws that transcend, uh, you know, the word blockchain, uh, you know, contra popular belief by some people who monitor this stuff and analyze it. But um, I do think that, you know, there are some things that were predictable. There are some things that were less predictable. For example, apparently Three Hours Capital um, made a number of equity investments. And as part of their, um, I guess, equity investments, uh, they would often offer to uh, manage the treasury for, for, for some cats. And uh, so that's, that's unexpectedly bad, um, uniquely bad, I would say. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think we've just seen a lot of shakeout from things that just wouldn't have worked. And, and you really can't make a sustainable protocol or business based on the theory that number will always go up, right? Which was most people's risk model going into this. All right. Well, we all love quoting Joe Weisenthal, Tezos co-founder Kathleen Brighton, and our own Shazanali Basik. Thank you both. This week was Prime Day 2022, and Amazon says that overall savings for members topped $1.7 billion, making it the biggest Prime Day to date. Amazon Prime Day is a two-day shopping event geared towards Amazon Prime subscribers where the company and many of its resellers give some of their best discounts of the year on many of their most popular products. Amazon says that over 100,000 items were bought per minute during the two-day event, topping 300 million items in total. The best sellers over the period were premium beauty products, Rachel Ray kitchen accessories, car wash accessories, pet products like Greenies, Crest toothpaste and Oral-B electric toothbrushes, clothing for kids and items from Levi's, air purifiers, kids' lunchboxes, shark vacuums, and Lego sets. For the summer, of course, sunglasses and swimsuits were also very popular. For us tech fans, there were also some strong deals, leading to a notable number of Apple Watch Series 7 and Beats by Dre headphone purchases. This comes as Apple and its retail partners look to clear inventory for three new Apple Watches coming this fall. And of course, Apple's Beats by Dre is always working on new headphones and earbuds. For its part, Amazon also said its own consumer deck devices were strong sellers during the event. It particularly pointed out the Fire TV, Echo speakers with Alexa, and Blink Home security devices as doing well. If you missed out on this month's Prime Day, there are early indicators that the company will hold a rare second Prime event this fall. So stay tuned for more details on that. I'm Mark Gurman. This is Power On. Thank you, Mark. I want to stick with Amazon's Prime event and bring in Melissa Burdick, PacFood president and a 10-year Amazon veteran. So, Melissa, anecdotally, I feel like I got a few more things on Prime Day <laughs> than usual. I don't know if that is uh, an example of a broader trend, but how did it stack up for you? Yeah, well, if you notice what um, he was just talking about in terms of what people are buying, it was different this year. There is a bigger focus on household essentials and home. Usually Prime Day is a big um, consumer electronics event, big ticket item event. But this year, I think that we're seeing a lot of inflationary impact where, you know, food prices are up over 12 percent 
versus the inflation average of 9%. So people were coming in looking for deals. Deals were at least 30% off in the food space. And so top items they won were things like Frito-Lay chips, Amazon basic trash bags, Cascade dish pods. This is a different year for things like that. So I think that what we're seeing is just a different category shift of what people are actually buying this year. Why did it take so long for Amazon to get it right? I mean, I feel like we've talked about so many Prime Days over the years that were underwhelming. You know, I think, um, honestly, Amazon did not lead as much with their uh, electronic items or brands. I mean, they had heavily, steeply discounted products. Their products were um, discounted up to 48% off. So they definitely had a good year with their own private label products. In the past, I, to me, I always thought of Instant Pot, iRobot, 23andMe, DNA kits. Those were kind of the big products that they were always pushing. But this year, they did a couple of different things. One was they had better personalization widgets. So when you logged into Amazon, you had more personalized um, items that were for you. So that might have been a way that you found things. They also had a better emphasis on influencer marketing. Um, in my opinion, that had a hit and a miss. So the hit was they did a much better job of priming influencers off Amazon to drive traffic to Amazon. Um, the miss that I saw this year that has just been been a continuation is Amazon Livestream. So that's kind of their QVC-like uh, influencers talking about products. And um, some of the chatter that I've heard about is, you know, people, uh, you know, didn't really find it productive or engaging, although it was something Amazon called out today in their um, notes that they had 100 million views of their live stream. So it continues to be something that they focus on. Um, but, you know, hopefully they will get it better for Prime Day V2 coming in the fall. Let's talk about V2. What do you think they'll learn from this and what are you expecting this fall? You know, that's the beauty of Amazon. It's this constant hotbed of test and learns. And so, um, you know, this personalization, this influencer marketing, the ways that people are buying more products, they're going to learn from that and they're going to focus on a V2. One of the other things I like about the Prime Day in October. They did this in 2020 when they moved Prime Day during the pandemic from the summer to the fall, and they moved demand forward. And that really spread out, um, you know, the demand during the whole Q4, and it kind of sped up, uh, you know, people buying things earlier in Q4. So it has a lot of benefits for Amazon. Uh, and something that we haven't talked about as much is advertising on Amazon. Uh, I understand that that was a more interesting story this Prime Day around. Well, every Prime Day, um, people always spend more money. It was a little bit of a question because of inflation or raising costs with advertisers come in, but they absolutely did. We actually did a study, a sample size, a sample size of some of our clients, and we saw that CPMs increased. 36 to 75 percent above normal levels, but also there were millions more impression volumes. That means there's just so much traffic that they're able to take advantage of. Amazon also has this great metric for especially CPG um, companies called new to brand. That that metric shows you know incremental people are coming in and buying their brand, and that was up hundreds of basis points. So there so is maybe it's. Oh, sorry. Maybe it's not just that the deals were better, it's that the advertising was also more effective. Yeah, and it was just a great opportunity. Amazon has a self-serve ad platform, so they make it very easy for brands to come in and bid on their keywords, on their competitors' keywords. Um, so it's a very, it's a great way for brands to be able to take advantage of the traffic and be able to drive people to their products. 
All right, well, here's to the Instapot. Melissa Burdick, PacView <laughs> president, thank you, as always, for joining us. Well, that does it for this edition of Bloomberg Technology. Tomorrow we're going to be chatting with blockchain guru Anthony Pompliano about his employment training business, specifically for crypto. They just raised some new cash. And don't forget to check out our podcast. You can find it everywhere you get your podcasts. And, of course, at Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg. Hi, everyone. I'm Paul Anka. And I'm Skip Bronson. And what happens when two old friends take their decades of experience in the business and entertainment worlds and sit down with our buddies? You get our way, a brand new show from My Heart Podcast, where we chop it up with our pals about everything under the sun. This is our podcast, and we're going to do it our way. Listen to Our Way on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.